This is Kate Beckinsale. You're listening to Beckinsale. The Slithery D. He came out of the sea. He ate Kent and Zach, but he didn't eat me. Oh, the Slithery D. He came out of the sea. Well, he ate Kent and Zach, but he didn't. <laughs> I'm you're really just, alive. You're just going to end with your death rattle? I'm really alive. It's okay. You? Just pretend, kids. Welcome yeah. to Bacon Cell. I'm Joel. I'm Kent. And I'm Zach. Is like, that what a death rattle is? Uh, that's Joel's. That's is that what that is it's called? A, it's the last little breath they get out. It's the death rattle. Death rattle is I, literally just death rattle facts at the end of a, you, of you a bracket. Did, you thought it was just a term for facts? I guess. Oh. <laughs> 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 anyway. Wow, I'm like really surprised. Right Today I learned. We're educating each other on, on October episodes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, thank you for listening to our last show. Our Monster Mash. I was told... By people in person. Oh, that this was a good episode. Okay, and they like thousands it. of people probably. Yeah, so sure. many people Millions. in person. Yeah. I believe my wife said that this was our best mash episode yet. What? Yeah. Uh, over the school outfits, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds weird, it's, but I'm right. It's true. That okay, was, that was uh, what I was but fun. it was just fun because we got to create movies and uh, people took part of that too. And really, I think the only dud was Tyra Banks. Everything else was kind of awesome. All of them. All Tyler the Perry. Oh, oh, he was in, in oh, oh, yeah. We, yeah, we Tyler Banks was actually in your movie. No, but yeah. I saw some people get Tyler Perry on the oh, oh, on Patreon. Yeah, people were yeah. playing on that's Patreon. That's a shame. We had some comments, including on Facebook from Patrick Rhodes, who said, Wish I could find a place that's streaming ICU. My cousin's best friend's roommate says his uncle's brother's stepmother saw it once during the original run. It's lost to time. It's lost to time. <laughs> on Instagram, Z1 Rock says, A horror movie that takes place at a Denny's? Three question marks. Kent hit the lottery with this one, guys. A nice bowl of popcorn and a voodoo Mountain Dew. Sounds like a good Friday night. Here's <laughs> oh, my movie. This is what was annoying during okay. the episode, and yeah. I, I re-listened, and I was getting more annoyed. Yours was supposed to be bad. You yeah. got a lot of bad, like bad options. Sure, and it helped your movie. Well, it's a horror comedy, uh, right? And so it just it worked out. And then finally, at uh, Crew Detler on Twitter says, "Sorry, Joel." I think your movie is the least likely movie I'd see. Mm-hmm. I don't go see many horror movies, but I think I'd be going to see Full Moon Over My Hammy. Then I see you. Then yeah. yours. Oh, rude. Which I was going to say. Samara's in yours. Uh, well, she is. But uh, yeah, we got uh, people playing along on Patreon, which was fun. Uh, Kent, you dropped uh, the individual posters of our yeah, movies on there as it well. It turned into something. It was it was a whole fun thing we had yeah. there. So thank you for that. Thank you for the fun. I, I think you guys are great. Kent, I think you're very talented. My movie poster is far and away the best well, one. Well, yours was the last one I made. It's so good. Because I was like, Photoshop, Photoshop. I kind of like, want that as a poster in okay. my room. <laughs> <laughs> Print it out. Kathy Bates and Emma Stone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Michael Myers is just like through the broken. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so good. Yeah, it was good stuff. Uh, speaking of good stuff, hey, we had our Bacon Cell costume parade on yeah, our social media thank channels. Thank you to everyone who took part. That very was so very fun to few see. tears. Good job. Oh, yeah. man. I really enjoyed seeing a lot of the costumes people were submitting to. Mm-hmm. You guys are really talented. Yeah. Uh, but we did pick a winner at random, and this winner is going to get a pair of tickets to a haunted house near them. <laughs> so we did a random number generator, which actually, you know, made movies last time, and this yeah. time it picked the winner, which is. <laughs> what? That's so we're like, so we're electrocuted? <laughs> You're like the family on Christmas vacation. Yeah. <laughs> winning, anyway. But the soon. winner is 
Drew Maxfield. Congratulations, Drew. Congratulations, Drew. He posted a picture of himself as the lunch lady from Lunch Lady Land. Gave me a hearty chuckle. With the caption, sigh, why do I share this? Hoagies and grinders. (laughs) Well, now it's worth something. Congratulations, Drew. Uh, I was going to say, reach out to us, or if we don't hear from you in a bit, we're going to reach out to you and make sure that you get these tickets so you can experience a haunted house in the month of October. Awesome. So thank you, everyone who played along, and we hope to do more giveaways in the future. Indeed. But that's not what we're talking about today. What are we talking about today, Zach? We're telling stories. I think yes. in, the, in the dark. We stories. literally are stories in the dark. Uh, yes, uh-huh. uh, just light enough to read. But mm-hmm. hold on, was was the last time you did this the first time you recorded in the dark for Halloween? Maybe it's, be- um, it's become a tradition. We we did say we. Did I feel like it was only halfway through our run that we're like, it's October. Should we turn out the lights? Because I, yeah. I listened to the last episode, which was one seventy one seventy seven. Scary stories told in the dark, and you guys made a big deal about reading the stories in the dark because it's not easy. Uh, it was back in twenty eighteen, but we delved into the world of Alvin Schwartz and Stephen Gamble. If you don't know what they are, really briefly, because we talked about it at, at length mm-hmm. last time. Yeah. Uh, but this is a collection of short horror stories, three books, Scary Stories Tell in the Dark, More Scary Stories Tell in the Dark, and Scary Stories 3, More Tales to Chill Your Bones. And these books were kind of very formative for Kent and I. Yeah. If you were in uh, elementary, grade school in anywhere from the late 80s, but most likely early 90s, you remember there's like a couple like kids books maybe some coloring books oh i'm eight years old that seems pretty fun oh ninja turtles have a new book that sounds great oh uh, what's this scary stories to tell in the dark With that's not appropriate for graphic me. on the cover yeah and so these books were sold to children and so what did we order as kids because joel and i are definitely in this vein and i think our listener is as well let's get the scary book and it changed everything Definitely, it was part of I think my horror education. I'm sure yours as well. Alvin Schwartz is the author, but he's the one that's collected the he's collected these folk tales or just stories in his travels. Basically, Mm. that's his his angle. And some are really good, some are not so good. And we kind of talked about that in the last show. But what really sells this, and yes, the words are great, but the drawings, the art here by Stephen Gamble, they are the work of a possessed man. Yes, like it, it is truly horrifying and stuff that we've talked about uh, still haunt us to this day. Very true. Uh, one thing that we didn't talk about on the last episode when we, we went through and read some of our favorite stories is the movie because the mm-hmm. movie came out after, a oh, year yeah. after we recorded you, you the episode. You talk about it on the episode. Yeah, I hear it's in production right now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Which uh, it, was a, it was a 2019 horror film mm-hmm. directed by Andre Overdahl. Yeah, Overdahl. It actually did pretty well. Uh, like, it's it an well. upper tier two scary movie. Yeah. Yeah. Thing is, it's pretty solid in regard to horror movies. And it took, I think, half of the stories, actually probably the majority of the stories that we told on the last show mm-hmm. um, and put them in movie form. And there were some like Harold, for example. Yeah. Not as scary in the movie as the story is. No. But still visually pretty scary. They but were the right spot PG worked really well. Thing. Actually, The Big Toe, that story, I don't care for the, the story in the book, but in the movie, it's pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Now we wanted to take another round because we only talked about like 20 stories last time. They're like they're like 60 stories that we could go through. So we decided to take another chunk. We have 10 categories that we are going to be going through here and then reading once again some of these scary stories to tell in the dark, as well as some stories that are not from the book series. Zach, you weren't on the last episode. I wasn't, but but I had a ton to add because I've never read these books. That's what I was going to ask. These weren't a part of your childhood. No. I was one of the kids. Uh, now, these made an impression on me, no question. Because so? I was one of the kids who saw this book in the library. But even then, I had 
what's that thing? Um, Gert. Oh yeah. Sense. And I went, <laughs> no way. Sense. Yeah. Not happening ever. That scares me just looking at it. Yeah. Why would I read it? Now I'd heard some of the stories and you mentioned, uh, you know, like these aren't wholly original coming from this guy. No, like it's no, a no. lot of, he's um, collecting these. You know, urban legends, right. like uh, uh, high beams. The high beams one was sure. was the one the that hook. I it was probably the first scary story I ever heard. Sure, it was the high beams one. Yeah, and and so I was familiar with some of the stories, but didn't you know this wasn't my thing at all. I shied away from it. So and I continue to do it. And, and look, you, but you're you keep have to do making that. me come back on bacon. Sale. Exactly. Thank you for joining us. <sighs> we know you have an exit plan at about 87 episodes. Yep. But until then. <laughs> We're going to have you listen to us, and I may ask you to read one or two, and right. maybe Joel will right. as well. <clears throat> but yeah, give us your your take on these stories. Like, they're not going to be immediately scary, and granted, the music's going to be added with podcast magic, Sure, but we hope that it creates the right setting. In fact, I'm a little bummed because it was raining really hard today, uh, yeah, and I'm like, was... could that just keep going? And sadly, it's not. Oh, no. I just... Until I, now. I get to do all this, and then I get to drive home 30 minutes in the dark. I think you'll be fine. Uh-huh. These are, these are for children. Just don't look at the art too closely. I'm a child. Oh, you do got a baby face. Oh, baby face. With a beard. (laughs) A beardy baby face. (laughs) Okay, fine. Beardy baby face wants to get scared now. (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. We're going to start with our stories. I am dreading this. Uh, Do you want it to be like class time? I know we're on a podcast and that's the worst, but maybe for you, Zach, we can read and be like, now, Zach. If you look closely at cemetery soup. No, no, stop. I thought you meant like popcorn reading. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Popcorn, blankets. (laughs) All right, let's go with another horrifying image. Another horrifying image, right? The first one. Because the first one we did was like the the image that freaked us out. Kent's book still has mine on the cover. Every time I'm so sorry. But now we're going with, because there's so many good images in mm-hmm. this book, we decided to do another round. Now, that one, the one Kent has with the eyeless, the girl with holes for eyes, mm-hmm. was my number one. The haunted house. But one of the ones that gets me every time I see it is this old woman with these little beady, beady eyes from the story Clinkety Clink. This is from uh, book two. Now, will you show us the picture yes, first? of course. Yeah, that's great for the list. Oh, wow. It's a it's look a, at the eyes. Okay, I'm going to describe it really well. It's a scary picture. Yep. Yep. It's a, Oh, it's really scary. Like she is one of those that I went, I don't even like looking at that. No. So this is on uh, page 20 of book two, by the way, but I'll read it. An old lady got sick and died. She had no family and no close friends. So her neighbors got a grave digger to dig a grave for her. Keep in mind, this is for children, guys, okay? I'm just saying. I mean, hold on. Can we make funny commentary? No. Or are we just going to no, say we're this like, mood. We're we're deathly mood. serious? No. Oh, I just like no. how it starts off with... Uh, an old lady died. An old lady got sick and died. <laughs> we might make fun of it after. Yeah, okay. But maybe not as much during. Yes, okay. Good. Okay, here we okay. go. And they had a coffin made, and they placed it in her living room. <laughs> Coffins. Shh. <laughs> as was the tradition, they washed her body and dressed her up in her best clothes and put her in her coffin. When she died, her eyes were wide open, staring at everything and seeing nothing. The neighbors found two old silver dollars on her dresser, and they put them on her eyelids to keep them closed. They lit candles and sat up with her so that she would not be too lonely on that first night that she was dead. The next morning a preacher came and said a prayer for her. Then everybody went home. Later the gravedigger arrived to take her to the cemetery and bury her. He stared at the silver coins on her eyes and picked them up. How shiny and smooth they were, how thick and heavy. They're beautiful, he thought, just beautiful. He looked at the dead woman. With her eyes wide open, he felt she was staring at him, watching him hold her coins. It gave her a creepy feeling. 
He put the coins back on those eyes of hers to keep them closed. Before he knew it, his hands reached out again and grabbed the coins and stuck them in his pocket. Then he grabbed a hammer and quickly nailed shut the lid on the coffin. Now you can't see anything, he said to her. Then he took her out to the cemetery and he buried her as fast as he could. When the gravedigger got home, he put the two silver coins in a tin box and shook it. The coins made a cheerful rattling sound, but the gravedigger wasn't feeling cheerful. He couldn't forget those eyes looking at him. When it got dark, a storm came up and the wind started blowing. It blew all around the house. It came in through the cracks and around the windows and down the chimney. I'm excited for this part. Bazoo, it went. Busy, busy, bazoo. The fire flared and flickered. The gravedigger threw some fresh wood on the fire, got into bed and pulled the blankets up to his chin. The wind kept blowing. Bazoo, it went. Busy, busy, bazoo. The fire flared and flickered and cast evil-looking shadows on the walls. The gravedigger lay there thinking about the dead woman's eyes staring at him. The wind blew stronger and louder, and the fire flared and flickered and popped and snapped, and he got more and more scared. Suddenly, he heard another sound. Clinkety-clink. Clinkety-clink it went. Clinkety-clink. Clinkety-clink. It was the silver dollars rattling in the tin box. Hey, the gravedigger shouted. Who's taking my money? But all he heard was the wind blowing. Busy, busy, bazoo and the flames flaring and flickering and snapping and popping and the coins going clinkety-clink, clinkety-clink. He leapt out of bed and chained up the door. Then he hurried back, but his head had barely touched the pillow when he heard clinkety-clink, clinkety-clink. Then he heard something way off in the distance. It was a voice crying, Where is my money? Who's got my money? Who? Who? And the wind blew, busy, busy, bazoo. And the fire flared and flickered and snapped and popped, and the money went clinkety-clinkety-clink. The gravedigger was really scared. He got out of bed again and piled all the furniture against the door, and he put a heavy iron skillet over the tin box. Then he jumped back in the bed and covered his head with the blankets. But the money rattled louder than ever, and way off a voice cried, Give me my money. Who's got my money? Who? Who? And the wind blew and the fire flared and flickered and snapped and popped and the gravedigger shivered and shook and cried, Oh, Lordy, Lordy. Suddenly the front door flew open and in walked the ghost of the dead woman with their eyes wide open, staring at everything and seeing nothing. And the wind blew, busy, busy, bazoo. And the money went clinkety-clink and the fire flared and flickered and snapped and popped and the ghost of the dead woman cried, Oh, where is my money? Who's got my money? Who? Who? And the gravedigger moaned, Oh, lordy, lordy. The ghost could hear the money going clinkety-clink, clinkety-clink in the tin box. But her dead eyes couldn't see the box. So she reached out her arms and tried to find it. There's a parenthetical here. It says, As you tell the story, stand up with your arms in front of you and begin groping around you. What? What? <laughs> Can't? Okay. No. The wind went busy, busy, bazoo, and the money rattled clinkety-clink. And the fire flared and flickered and snapped and popped, and the gravedigger shivered and shook and moaned, Oh, lordy, lordy, and the woman cried, Give me my money. Who's got my money? Who? You've got it. Whoa. <laughs> okay, I actually jumped uh, from Jill's reading. <laughs> you, yeah. and, I'm literally, jumped. and I'm literally reading along. And it says, <laughs> now point at someone and it say, says, you've quick, got it. It says, now quickly jump at somebody in the audience and scream, you've got it. I was Zach, you got that, scared. Because that would ruin it. Anyway, truthfully... That, that was, story that, is not one of my favorite stories. Sure. 
because was, I feel like clinkety clink from more scary stories to tell in the dark. And I feel like it goes on a little too long. Like it almost feels like uh, we, we get a lot of busy, busy bazoos. It feels like uh, one of those building rhymes, like a, a 12 days of Christmas where like yeah. you go clinkety clink and busy bazoo and who's got my money and lordy lordy. Never, never and heard wind like that, but cool. Yeah. Buzzy, buzzy, bazoo. I don't know if the my favorite comes. moment of the last episode was you reading me Ty Doty Walker. Mm. That was like literally my favorite part. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I enjoy that one. Yeah. Anyways, great story. Thank you. Good. I, the, the obsession with money reminded me of Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob. Um, just That's not good. But uh, <laughs> the, this is my favorite line. The fire flared and flickered and cast evil looking shadows on the walls. It's yes. Like, that's evil looking shadows. That's, that's not innocent yeah. looking ones. Evil looking shadows. I don't know what they look like, but they're evil. Yeah. But really, it is all about the picture. The picture horror yeah, no, picture to the point where right. I, would, I would flip past the story because I didn't want to see it. Good story. Now, a lot of time... Well read, Joel. Thank you. A lot of times, these illustrations, they will show you kind of like this abstract look or creature or shadows on the wall. But this time, we just get to see the result. And the result is a dead woman crouched down, and you can see what looks to be like big spiders, spidery things, and there's spider webs connected to her. Her face is rotting. Seems like it's the inspiration for the ring when they find the girl in the closet. In the closet, yeah, okay. Which is a horrifying image Very much so. And this story... Is this the very next story in the book? It probably is. If you go back one page, is this a clinkety-clink? You've got it! Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm about to read The Bride. The minister's daughter had just gotten married. After the wedding ceremony, there was a great feast with music and dancing and contests and games. Even old children's games. Old children or old children's games? I'm not sure. I added that in. (laughs) When they got to playing hide-and-seek, the bride decided to hide in her grandfather's trunk up in the attic. They'll never find me there, she thought. As she was climbing into the trunk, the lid came down and cracked her on the head and she fell unconscious inside. The lid slammed shut and locked. No one will ever know how long she called for help or how hard she struggled to free herself from that tomb. Everyone in the village searched for her and they looked almost everywhere but no one thought of looking in the trunk. After a week, her brand new bridegroom and all the others gave up for lost. Years later, a maid went up into the attic looking for something she needed. Maybe it's in the trunk, she thought. She opened it and screamed. There lay the missing bride in her wedding dress, but by then she was only a skeleton. Now, the creepy thing... Okay, here's the thing about that one. Okay. Because even though the picture at the top is the dead bride, yes. even though you know she's dead and it's not a big twist at the end, mm-hmm. that one still haunted me. Like, it still made me sad and scared. The haunting well, fear is, thing, right? You, like, actually fear. Being mm-hmm. stuck and trying to claw your way out of somewhere. Yeah. And no one knowing where you are. Yeah. And imagine being the bridegroom, as they call him, yeah. and not knowing where your bride is. Exactly. During a game of hide and seek. <sighs> right. Next category is biggest plot twist. Kent, how about you start this one? My story from Scary Stories 3, More Tales to Chill Your Bones, is called The Appointment. And the picture for The Appointment has what looks to be the Grim Reaper, Death himself, pointing up at a truck up in the sky. Kind of strange, kind of abstract. A 16-year-old boy worked on his grandfather's horse farm. One morning, he drove a pickup truck into town on an errand. While he was walking along Main Street, he saw Death. Death beckoned to him. The boy drove back to the farm as fast as he could and told his grandfather what had happened. Give me the truck, he begged. I'll go to the city. He'll never find me there. His grandfather gave him the truck, and the boy sped away. After he left, his grandfather went into town looking for death, 
When he found him, he asked, Why did you frighten my grandson that way? He is only 16. He is too young to die. I am sorry about that, said Death. I did not mean to beckon to him, but I was surprised to see him here. You see, I have an appointment with him this afternoon in the city. Bum, bum, bum. Caught you too early. Yeah. Pre-final destination. Yeah, it is pre-final destination. And it's one of those things where you're like, if he wouldn't have, if he wouldn't have freaked out, would he have died? Like yeah. If he hadn't saw death, would it have been preordained and all yeah. that kind of stuff? Yeah. Going yeah. to the city. That one, that's one too that I remember. Like, that's one of those twists that I was always like, my jaw dropped yeah. as a kid. I just love how congenial they are with death. <laughs> the grandpa's like, hey, uh, hey, Mr. Death. Are you staring my son, <laughs> Mr. Uh, Potter? <laughs> death? You had an appointment with death. Well, I know where that guy lives. <laughs> My uh, biggest plot twist story is also from book three, page okay. 27, and nice. it's called Bess. John Nicholas raised horses. He had many horses of all kinds, but his favorite was Bess, a gentle old mare he'd grown up with. He no longer rode her, for all she could do now was just amble along. Bess spent her days grazing peacefully in a meadow. That summer, just for the fun of it, John Nicholas went into a fortune teller's booth. The fortune teller studied her cards. I see danger ahead for you, she said. Your favorite horse will cause you to die. I don't know when, but it will happen. It is in the cards. John Nicholas laughed. The idea that Bess would cause him death was nonsense. She was as dangerous as a bowl of soup. Yet from then on, whenever he saw her, he remembered the fortune teller's warning. That fall, a farmer from the other end of the country asked if he could have Bess. He'd been thinking that the old horse would be perfect for his children to ride. That's a good idea, John said. It'd be fun for them, and it would give Bess something to do. Later, John told his wife about it. Now Bess won't kill me, he said, and they both laughed. (laughs) A few months later, he saw the farmer who had taken her. How's my Bess? he asked. Oh, she was fine for a while, the farmer said. The children loved her. Then she got sick. I had to shoot her to put her out of her misery. It was a shame. Despite himself, John breathed a sigh of relief. He'd often wondered if in some crazy way, through some strange accident, Bess would kill him. Now, of course, she could not. I'd like to see her, said John, just to say goodbye. She was my favorite. The bones of the dead horse were in a far corner of the man's farm. John kneeled down and patted Bess's sun-bleached skull. Just then, a rattlesnake, which had made its home inside the skull, sank its fangs into John Nicholas's arm and killed him. <gasps> Dang it. It was Bess. Now, uh, can you see the images on the thing you're looking at, Zach? Yes. Because you think, it's, 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 oh, nice old cow. This will be a nice little image. Uh. And then uh, Stephen Gamel, Stephen Gamel, is that yeah. his name? Uh, he Arrow. made this yeah, I know. horrible. It's like a pterodactyl horse. Skeleton. It's like this, this twisted, distorted skeleton of a horse. Mm-hmm. So that even the image is scary on that yeah, one. Yeah, it's not but, good. But what the heck, Bess? I know. This is why you don't go to fortune tellers, kids. <laughs> and the only reason. Hmm. Unless you want to be big. That was that was fun. Both really good plot twists. And mm-hmm. I like that they they were like punchlines. Yeah. You know? Like that's that's what I think is really fun about a lot of these stories. Um, so th- I was let up by those oh, stories. Wow. Second. Have, have you ever been let down by <laughs> yes, one of the I endings? Have. By a lot of them. Well, and I've, I've said this before. I think book one's probably my they, they Would you say... Even though I think they kind of decline in art and quality with stories, uh, book three has some of my favorite stories as well. Yeah, it's just the they're fewer and far between. Peaks and valleys. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But mine is from book three, and it's called No Thanks. 
Now, I want to point out this image, too, for no thanks, is messed up. Oh, that's, yeah. that's wonky. Uh, what's the guy from, from Goonies? Yeah, it's kind of like Sloth's... Sloth uh, with mis- hair? Sloth's misshapen cousin. Uh, in a schoolboy uniform. Yeah. Thursday nights, Jim worked as a stock boy in one of the malls out on the highway. By 8.30, he was usually finished, and he drove home. But that night, Jim was one of the last to leave. By the time he got to the huge parking lot, it was almost empty. The only sounds were cars in the distance and his footsteps on the pavement. Suddenly, a man stepped out of the shadows. Hey, mister, he called in a low voice. He held out his right hand. Balanced on the palm was the long, thin blade of a knife. Jim stopped. Nice, sharp knife, the man said softly. Don't panic, Jim thought. The man stepped toward him. Don't run, Jim told himself. Nice, sharp knife, the man repeated. Get what he wants, Jim thought. The man came closer. He held the knife up. Cuts nice and easy, he said slowly. Jim waited. The man peered into his face. Hey, man, only three dollars. Two for five. Nice present for your mama. No, thanks, Jim said. She's got one. And he ran for his car. What? The That's end. the end. The end. What? He was selling a knife? He was selling him a knife. He thought he was going to... he ran but, away. He but, thought he was going to mug him. Creepily. Yeah. <laughs> nice, sharp knife. Two for five combo. He's so spooky. All right, all right, all right. Roast beef sandwiches at Arby's. Yeah. But uh, creepy image, but I did. I, I got to the end and I'm like... That's I, it? I don't know. First of all, they don't describe the man at all. Mm-hmm. And if he looks like that, that definitely should be described in the story. Yeah. But secondly, the way he does it, like only three dollars, two for five, nice present for your mom. It's like, well, it's a joke. I guess. Oh, yeah, three, nice present for your mom. Huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. It all depends on the speaking? voice that you're reading it in. Yeah. That's true. Hmm. My story is called The Voice, and it is not um, with Christina Aguilera or <laughs> whatever his name well, is. That, that show that has, has literally not produced a famous person. Yeah, hmm. truly. But the image, it looks like uh, Matt Smith's first year as the doctor. Uh, there's a crack in the wall with an eyeball. Oh, it's, That's right. Right. it's very oh, abstract. Hmm. All right. And this is from More Scaries to Tell in the Dark. The second book. Ellen had just fallen asleep when she heard a strange voice. Ellen, it whispered, I am coming up the stairs. I am on the first step. Now I am on the second step. Ellen got scared and called her parents, but they didn't hear her, and they didn't come. Then the voice whispered, Ellen, I'm on the top step. Now I'm in the hall. Now I'm outside your room. Then it whispered, I'm standing right next to your bed. And then, I've got you! Ellen screamed, and the voice stopped. Her father rushed into the room and turned on the light. Somebody in here? Ellen said. They looked and looked. Nobody was there. Oh. What? I mean, he's got her, again, and then well they turn read. on the light, and nobody's nobody's there. They didn't even go into like, and then the dad looked in the closet, and then he was pulled into the closet and gone forever. Yeah, I prefer the ones like you read before that have some like Twilight Zone twist. Yeah, but the, this one was like, like no one was there, no resolution. This that feels. But if that were the first horror story you ever heard as yeah, a kid, that feels terrifying. like an advanced version. Of a story my eight-year-old stepson would tell me. Okay, like it's like he one that he made up, <laughs> like a shorter version for yeah. sure. And no one was there, and like that's Ooh. that's a big deal for him. So yeah. I could see why it would be scary. Depending, yeah. I know, wanted death and dismemberment. Uh, uh, always, <laughs> I always want that. 
Next up is introduced you to a new folklore. Kent, please start us. I really like the short stories so far. I can tell, and I appreciate that. This one is not that. Oh. This story is called The Wendigo. Oh, hey, I've heard of this. I know this one. From Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. That's the first one. I'm right outside your window. I'm Ellen. (laughs) You're Ellen? I'm Ellen. I'm Ellen. Ellen. (laughs) I'm on the first step. Okay. A wealthy man wanted to go hunting in a part of northern Canada where few people... Why do I do it the creepy voice already? Oh, let's that. tell it like the it's image historical. The is, is uh, footsteps in the, in the Canadian yeah. snow. It was then that I carried you. So um, <laughs> I'm going to a bad place. A wealthy man wanted to go hunting in a part of northern Canada where few people had ever hunted. He traveled to a trading post and tried to find a guide to take him, but no one would do it. It was too dangerous, they said. Finally, he found an Indian who needed money badly, and he agreed to take him. The Indian's name was DeFago. They made camp in the snow near a large frozen lake. For three days, they hunted, but they had nothing to show for it. The third night, a windstorm came up. They lay in their tent, listening to the wind howling and the trees whipping back and forth. To see the storm better, the hunter opened the tent flap. What he saw startled him. There wasn't a breath of air stirring, not even a mouse. (laughs) And the trees were standing perfectly still, yet he could hear the wind howling. And the more he listened, the more it sounded like it were calling DeFago's name. DeFago, it called. DeFago. I must be losing my mind, the hunter thought. Your wind is so quiet. Ooh. What was his name? <laughs> Guys, we're setting a moon. <clears throat> but DeFago had gotten out of his sleeping bag. He was huddled in the corner of the tent, his head buried in his arms. What's this all about? The hunter asked. It's nothing, DeFago said. But the wind continued to call him, and DeFago became more tense and more restless. DeFago, it called. DeFago. Suddenly, he jumped to his feet and began to run from the tent. But the hunter grabbed him and wrestled him to the ground. You can't leave me out here, the hunter shouted. The wind called again, and DeFago broke loose and ran into the darkness. The hunter could hear him screaming as he went. Again and again, he cried, Oh, my fiery feet, my burning feet of fire! Then his voice faded away, and the wind died down. At daybreak, the hunter followed DeFago's tracks in the snow. They went through the woods, down towards the lake, then onto the ice. But soon he noticed something strange. The steps DeFago had taken got longer and longer. They were so long, no human being could have taken them. It was as if something had helped him to hurry away. The hunter followed the tracks out to the middle of the lake, but there they disappeared. At first, he thought that DeFago had fallen through the ice, but there wasn't any hole. Then he thought that something had pulled him off the ice into the sky, but that made no sense. As he stood wondering what had happened, the wind picked up again. Soon it was howling as it had the night before. Then he heard DeFigo's voice. It was coming from up above. Mm. And then he heard DeFigo screaming, My fiery feet, my burning feet! But there was nothing to be seen. Now the hunter wanted to leave the place as fast as he could. He went back to the camp and packed. Then he left some food for DeFigo and he started out. Weeks later, he reached civilization. The following year, he came back to hunt in that area again. He went back to the same trading post to look for a guide. The people there could not explain what had happened to DeFago that night, but they had not seen him since then. Maybe it was the Windigo, one of them said, and he laughed. It was supposed to come with the wind. It drags you along at great speed until your feet are burned away, and more of you than that. Then it carries you into the sky and it drops you. It's just a crazy story, but that's what some of the Indians say. A few days later, the hunter was at the trading post again. An Indian came in and sat by the fire. He had a blanket wrapped around him, and he wore his hat so that you couldn't see his face. The hunter thought there was something familiar about him. He walked over and asked, Are you DeFago? The Indian didn't answer. Do you know anything about him? No answer. 
He began to wonder if something was wrong, if the man needed help, but he couldn't see his face. Are you all right? He asked. No answer. To get a look at him, he lifted the Indian's hat. Then he screamed. There was nothing under the hat but a pile of ashes. Well, see, that's that's what I'm talking about. That's the ending. Yeah, that you want. That is like the ugly like, stuff that I ah, want. I want a zinger at that the end. That is an unhappy ending right there. there but I mean, the Wendigo is one of the things we didn't know about as kids, and I still don't from this story. But at least the <laughs> name made me scared. Yeah, and it's not like that thing is like. I mean, we talked about Wendigo before on mm-hmm. different episodes. The cryptid bracket, for sure. But it's not exactly like that. It's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And I've seen other incarnations of it, too. But at least it introduced me to as well to that kind of like, oh, the idea of a Wendigo. Right. What is that? Longest story ever. Joel, what about you? Slightly shorter. But I'm going to read... No, Kent's pretty tall. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read a story called The Window from Book Two. Margaret and her brothers, Paul and David, shared a small house on top of a hill just outside the village. It was so warm one summer's night that Margaret could not sleep. She sat up in bed in the darkness of her room, watching the moon move over across the sky. Suddenly, something caught her eye. She saw two small yellow-green lights moving through the woods near the graveyard at the bottom of the hill. They looked like the eyes of some animal, but she could not make out what kind of creature it was. Soon the creature left the woods and moved up the hill towards the house. For a few minutes, Margaret lost sight of it. Then she saw it coming across the lawn toward her window. It looked something like a man, and yet it didn't. Margaret was terrified. She wanted to run from her room, but the door was next to her window. She was afraid the creature would see her and break in before she could escape. When the creature turned and moved in another direction, Margaret rushed to the door. But before she could open the door, it was back. Margaret found herself staring through the window at a shrunken face like that of a mummy. Its yellow-green eyes gleamed like a cat's eyes. She wanted to scream, but she was so frightened that she could not make a sound. The creature broke the window glass, unlocked the window, and crawled inside. Margaret tried to flee, but the creature caught her. It twisted its long, bony fingers into her hair, pulled back her head, and sank its teeth into her throat. Margaret screamed and fainted. When her brothers heard her piercing scream, they rushed to her room. By the time they got the door unlocked, the creature had fled. Margaret lay on the floor, bleeding and unconscious. While Paul tried to stop the bleeding, David chased the creature down the hill toward the graveyard, but soon he lost sight of it. The police thought it was the work of an escaped lunatic who believed he was a vampire. When Margaret recovered, her brothers wanted to move to a safer place where it would be harder to break in, but Margaret refused. The creature would never come back. She was sure of that. But just in case, Paul and David began to keep loaded pistols in their rooms. One night, months later, Margaret was awakened by a scratching sound at the window. When she opened her eyes, there was the same shrunken face staring in at her. That night, her brothers heard her cries in time. They chased the creature down the hill, and David shot it in the leg. But the creature managed to scramble over the graveyard wall and disappeared near an old burial vault. The next day, Margaret and her brothers watched as the sexton of the church opened the burial vault. Inside was a horrifying scene. Broken coffins, bones, and rotting flesh were scattered all over. Only one coffin had not been disturbed. When the sexton opened it, there lay the creature with the shrunken face that had attacked Margaret. The telltale bullet was in its leg. They did the only thing they knew of to rid themselves of a vampire. The sexton built a roaring blaze outside a vault and fed the shrunken body to the flames. They watched the body burn until nothing remained but ashes. Now, new folklore to me, because Mm -hmm. to me, vampires were Dracula. They were suave, sophisticated, lived among everyone else. So the fact that this was like a mummified 
shrunken face, uh, green, yellow-eyed creature mm-hmm. that I didn't really understand how that could be a vampire. Honestly, until we did our research on vampires for our vampire show. Right. We got the babe. babe. We got the babe <laughs> guy. Uh, and that, that kind of introduced me to the, yeah, these were creatures. These were like zombie-like creatures back mm-hmm. in the day. So yeah, there you go. That's my new folklore. What was it? Was that one called? The window. Window. The Wendigo window. We both chose W's. Yeah. Now let's uh, let's give you a little chuckle. Which one made you chuckle? Yeah, about like a twenty to twenty five percent of these books are based on funny stories. Each one, each each book has they like say a funny, funny section. They, they mm. say funny, mm. may or may not be true. Joel, what's funny? You don't find them funny, Kent? Uh, not at all. None of them. Some, Some of them are. Why it's chuckle? Yeah, not, that's a, not chuckle. a not a guffaw. <laughs> well, this one was chuckle. one me and my friends definitely shared with each other and then laughed. It's from book one, and it's called The Viper. A widow lived alone on the top floor of an apartment house. One morning, her telephone rang. Hello, she said. This is The Viper, a man said. I'm coming up. Somebody's fooling around, she thought, and hung up. A half hour later, the telephone rang again. It was the same man. It's The Viper, he said. I'll be up soon. The widow didn't know what to think but she was getting frightened. Once more, the telephone rang. Again, it was the Viper. I'm coming up now. She quickly called the police. They said they would be right over. When the doorbell rang, she sighed with relief. They're here, she thought. But when she opened the door, there stood a little old man with a bucket and a cloth. I am the Viper, he said. I wish to wash and vipe the windows. Ah. I just hate <laughs> No, that's so windows. good. I just He's hate the viper. It. He's viping the, the windows. Viper. Viping the windows. He's viping the windows. <laughs> that's like the one what is like help, we are thinking. What are you thinking Think about? about? Oh. This is the German Coast Guard. This is it's the German Coast Guard. So yeah, the Viper, we did, we thought that was pretty funny. Because it's viper. one of those, like, especially after Kent's of like, you know, I'm coming, I'm coming. Yeah. That kind of story. You expect it to be that. And then it's like, I don't know. He's just viping the windows. I am going to read that one to my children. You should. Tomorrow. They enjoy them. Tomorrow. All right. Now get ready for a very cryptic story that makes so much sense. Is this about your dating life? Or? It's called <laughs> The Attic. A man named Rupert lived with his dog in a house deep in the woods. Rupert was a hunter and a trapper. The dog was a big German shepherd named Sam. Rupert had raised Sam from a pup. Almost every morning, Rupert went hunting, and Sam stayed behind and guarded the house. One morning, as Rupert was checking his traps, he got the feeling that something was wrong at home. He hurried back as fast as he could, but when he got there, he found that Sam was missing. He searched the house in the woods nearby, but Sam was nowhere to be seen. He called and he called, but the dog did not answer. For days, Rupert looked for Sam, but he could find no trace of him. Finally, he gave up and went back to his work. But one morning, he heard something moving in the attic. He picked up his gun. Then he thought, I'd better be quiet about this. So he took off his boots, and in his bare feet, he began to climb the attic stairs. He slowly took one step, then another, then another, until at last he reached the attic door. He stood outside listening, but he didn't hear a thing, and then he opened the door and... R.I.P. Headphone listeners. The end. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now the reason this story is funny is I'm waiting for someone, anyone. I can't tell you how many times I read care. this book, how many times I read this story out loud, and people just sit there and be like, "Oh, it's the end." So Zach, you as the listener of the first time hearing this story, you're supposed to say, "Why did Rupert scream?" Go ahead, ask him. Why? Why did Rupert scream? You'd scream too if you stepped on a nail in your bare feet. <laughs> 
I mean, <laughs> it makes me chuckle because I'm like, they really expect audience participation to be so specific. No, because that's the thing. It's like normally you, you go, ah, and everyone goes, ah, that's that's how a lot of these stories end is the jump scare. Yeah. So to try to make it a little on top of that. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. At, yeah, it literally says, right. That at this point, the storyteller stops as if he has finished. Then usually somebody will ask. Usually, usually you hope that they've read this book and they ask. <laughs> okay, what's not supernatural but still scary? The Kent. longest story in scary stories to tell in the dark, oh. other than the pirate one or the trouble. Oh, yeah. This story is called Maybe You'll Remember. Mrs. Gibbs and her 16-year-old daughter, Rosemary, arrived in Paris on a hot morning in July. They had been on a vacation and now were returning home. But Mrs. Gibbs did not feel well, so they decided to rest in Paris for a few days before going on. The city was crowded with tourists. Still, they found a place to stay at a good hotel. They had a lovely room overlooking a park. It had yellow walls, a blue carpet, and white furniture. As soon as they unpacked, Mrs. Gibbs went to bed. She looked so pale that Rosemary asked to have the hotel's doctor examine her. Rosemary did not speak French, but fortunately, the doctor spoke English. He took one look at Mrs. Gibbs and said, Your mother is too sick to travel. Tomorrow I will move her to a hospital, but she needs a certain medicine. If you go to my home for it, you will save time. The doctor said he did not have a telephone right now. Instead, he would give Rosemary a note for his wife. The hotel manager put Rosemary in a taxi and in French told the driver how to find the doctor's house. It will only take a little while, he told her, and the taxi will bring you back. But as the driver slowly drove up one street and down another, it seemed to take forever. At one point, Rosemary was sure they had gone down the same street twice. It took almost as long for the doctor's wife to answer the door, then get the medicine ready. As Rosemary sat on a bench in the empty waiting room, she kept thinking, why can't you hurry? Please hurry. Then she heard a, t- a what telephone. What her accent? Well, she's not French. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Oh, then, she heard a, know. then she heard a telephone ring somewhere in the house, but the doctor told her he didn't have a telephone right now. What was going on? They drove back as slowly as they had come, crawling up one street and down another. Rosemary sat in the back seat filled with dread. Her mother's medicine clutched in her hand. Why was everything taking so long? She was sure the taxi driver was going in the wrong direction. Are you going to the right hotel? She asked. He didn't answer. She asked again, but he still didn't reply. When he stopped for a traffic light, she threw open the door and ran from the cab. She stopped a woman on the street. The woman did not speak English, but she knew someone who did. Rosemary was right. They had been driving in the wrong direction. When she finally got back to the hotel, it was early evening. She went up to the desk clerk who had given them their room. I'm Rosemary Gibbs, she said. My mother and I are in room 505. May I please have the key? The clerk looked at her closely. You must be mistaken, he said. There is another guest in that room. Are you sure you were in the right hotel? He turned to help someone else. She waited until he was finished. You gave us that room yourself when we arrived this morning, she said. How could you forget? He stared at her as if she had lost her mind. You must be mistaken, he said. I've never seen you before. Are you sure you're in the right hotel? She asked to see the registration card they filled out when they arrived. It's June and Rosemary Gibbs, she said. The clerk looked in the file. We have no card for you, he said. You must be in the wrong hotel. The hotel doctor will know me, Rosemary replied. He examined my mother when we arrived. He sent me for medicine she needs. I want to see him. The doctor came downstairs. Here's the medicine for my mother, Rosemary said, holding it out to him. Your wife gave it to me. I've never seen you before, he said. Mm. You must be in the wrong hotel. Sacre bleu. (laughs) She asked for the hotel manager who put her in the taxi. Surely he would remember her. You must be in the wrong hotel, he said. Let me give you a room where you can rest. Then maybe you will remember where you and your mother are staying. I want to see our room, Rosemary said, raising her voice. It's room 505. But it was nothing like the room she remembered. It had a double bed, not twin beds. The furniture was black, not white. The carpet was green, not blue. 
There was someone else's clothing in the closet. The room she knew had vanished, and so had her mother. This is not the room, she said. Where is my mother? What have you done with her? You are in the wrong hotel, the manager said patiently, as if you were speaking to a young child. Rosemary asked to see the police. My mother, our things, the room, they've all disappeared, she told them. Are you sure you're in the right hotel, they asked. She went to the embassy for help. Are you sure it's the right hotel, they asked. Rosemary thought she was losing her mind. Why don't you rest here for a while, they said. Then maybe you'll remember. So that's the end of the story. That's the end of that very long Unless the audience asks, well, why did she not remember? She stepped on a nail. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they made a movie of this. It's called So Long at the Fair in 1950. And it has inspired two novels. Essentially, the doctor knew that her mom was dying from the plague. They didn't want this to get out there. Not even the plague. They didn't want the news of the plague being at the hotel. So they covered it up. They hid the body. And they covered the whole thing up, repainted the room, put and, new carpet yeah, in. Told her it was it was the wrong hotel room. Mm-hmm. The reason it bothered me though is because that's one of those stories where it's like, hey, if you want to see the ending, if you want to know the, how, why this is the case, go to the end of the book. Yeah, we'll give it's you the in answer. the appendices. And I mean, it's like, like Lord but, of the Rings. Yeah, and I'm like, what? No, tell me the story here. Why are you jumping me to another page? Yeah, it's not choose your adventure. But I, I, that one kind of sticks with me because it's not it's not a ghost story at all. It's just one of those that like Liam Neeson would be in at some point. <laughs> Where's my wife? <laughs> Where's my wife, Mrs. Gibbs? <laughs> Yeah, there's, there is a whole explanation. Check mm-hmm. that out. When the hotel doctor saw Mrs. Gibbs, he knew at once she was about to die. She had a form of the plague, a dreaded disease that killed quickly and caused very frightening epidemics. If the word got out that a woman had died in the plague in the heart of Paris, there would be panic. People in the hotel and elsewhere would rush to escape. The doctor knew what the hotel owners expected. He was to keep the case a secret or else they would lose lots of money. Pandemic, though, right? Yeah. Right? I mean, come on. That, to get that's Rosemary, not realistic. To get Rosemary out of the way, the doctor sent her to the other side of Paris for some worthless medicine. As he expected, Mrs. Gibbs died soon after she left. Her body was smuggled out of the hotel to a, a cemetery where she was buried. A team of workmen quickly repainted the room and replaced everything in it. The desk clerks were ordered to tell Rosemary that she was in the wrong hotel. When she insisted on seeing her room, it had become a different place and, of course, her mother had vanished. All those involved were warned that they would lose their jobs if they gave away the secret. To avoid panic in the city, the police and newspapers agreed to say nothing of the death. No reports were filed. No news stories appeared. It was as if Rosemary's mother and her room never existed. That's the scariest thing because she lost her mom and she lost her mind, essentially. Yeah. Because no one would allow her to even feel that way. But why would you not put that in the story? Huh? Yeah, huh? I mean, it's a true Albert Schwartz, yeah, why yeah. would you put that just in the he story? He ran out of room. I guess. <laughs> so mine is called The White Satin Evening Gown. Na, 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 na. A young man invited a young woman to a formal dance, but she was very poor. She could not afford to buy the evening gown she needed for such an occasion. Maybe you can rent a dress, her mother said. So she went to a pawn shop not far from where she lived. There she found a white satin evening gown in her size. She looked lovely in it, and she was able to rent it for very little. When she arrived at the dance with her friend, she was so attractive, everyone wanted to meet her. She danced again and again and was having a wonderful time. But then she began to feel dizzy and faint, and she asked her friend to take her home. I think I have danced too much, she told him. When she got home, she lay down on her bed. The next morning, her mother found that her daughter had died. The doctor did not understand what had caused her death, so he had the coroner perform an autopsy. The coroner found that she had been poisoned by embalming fluid. It had stopped her blood from flowing. There were traces of the fluid on her dress. He decided it had entered her skin when she perspired while she was dancing. The pawnbroker said he bought the dress from an undertaker's helper. It had been used in a funeral for another young woman, and the helper had stolen it just before she was buried. 
Gross. Now, that's why you can't use stuff that's been used. That's why yeah. around that. Yeah, don't go to the desert and don't go to Savers and yes. DI. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, that one actually did like it haunted me. Like I was like, what if there's embalming fluid on my clothes? <laughs> yeah. But I don't even know if that's Is actually, that how it works. I don't know if that's how it works. <laughs> but I always like kind of think about that whenever like people rent prom dresses yeah. or people rent tuxedos. I'm like, but what if it's mm-hmm. been in a coffin? Let's take a break from this, shall we? I mean, this is going great and all, but what's a scary story not in this book series? Well, Zach, I have a book here that's called oh. More Tales for the Midnight Hour. It's a very small book. It is a very small book it's so cute. Uh, by J.B. Stamper. And actually, the first one, Tales from Midnight Hour, came out in 1977, so it predates Scary Stories in the Okay, Dark. wow. This one, however, came out in 1987, 10 Shorter years stories? Yeah, yeah, short stories. Okay. It's a series of like 13 stories, I believe. Perfect. This was one where I actually just bought this like... Two years ago. Nice. Because I wanted to find it again. And since this is not in the book series, Zach, I'd like you to read it to the listener. Thank you. It's called Mm. The Collector. The Collector. Not the Guardians of the Galaxy one? No. Okay. Toby sat on the porch alone in the middle of the night. His mother and father were asleep upstairs. He had come back outside because he couldn't sleep. It was the weird noises of the swamp creatures that disturbed him makes sense no the frogs and the toads and the insects and strange birds he had lived in this place for a year now still it sounds word like a waking nightmare for him toby reached for the box of matches his mother kept on the porch he struck one against the rough wooden boards of the floor a flame flared up with his free hand toby lifted off a glass cover of the lantern then touched the wick with the burning match that's how you light those Mm -hmm. fire Toby set back the glass and stared at the flickering, dancing flame. Now the fire was between him and the swamp beyond. The night sounds no longer frightened him. Toby felt that he was the master of the swamp and its creatures, especially the moths. They would soon be drawn to the fire, helplessly seeking its light. The small moths came first. They circled the lantern, dizzying themselves to be near the light. They landed on the glass and flew off, driven away by the heat. Yet they were always drawn back to the hypnotic light. The first large moth appeared. Toby examined it carefully. He caught one like it the previous week. It was mounted upstairs. Already, Toby had an extensive collection of moths. They became his passion. More moths appeared, exotic ones with finely detailed markings. Toby reached behind him for the net and raised it up, ready to swoop down on his prey. A rare moth floated into the light on its orange and brown wings. It circled the lantern, confused. Toby held his breath. He had seen a picture of it only once at the house of the old woman who lived down the road. She told him a superstitious story about this rare moth. The old collectors in the area said the other moths would seek revenge on anyone who killed it. Toby raised the net high in the air. The moth circled the lantern again. With a clean swoop, he trapped it in his net. He could hear its strong wings beating against the mesh. He could sense its desire to live and be free. Toby set the net on the porch floor and ran noisily upstairs to his room to get a killing jar. He flicked on the desk light and chose the largest jar he had. Carefully, he squeezed a few drops of poisonous fluid into the bottom of the jar. He turned off the light and carried the jar down the stairs, his heart pounding. As Toby opened the screen door, he sensed a difference in the air. More moths were circling the lantern in a frenzy. The trapped moth was throwing its thick body against the net and then falling to the floor in desperate attempts to escape. Toby set the killing jar on the floor and opened the lid. With swift movement, he picked up the net and shook the moth into the jar, fluttered wildly against the glass. Then Toby fastened the lid on tight. 
He watched the victim struggle against the deadly fumes. Suddenly, he felt a strange weight on his neck. He swirled around in disgust and brushed away the huge moth that had landed on his body. Looking around, Toby saw that the air was thick with them. He sprang up from the killing jar and ran to the screen door, flailing his arms toward off the moths that were suddenly closing in around him like a suffocating blanket. Safely inside the house, Toby locked the screen door behind him. He looked back onto the porch and saw silhouettes of moths pressing their bodies against the screen. He could hear their wings beating. Toby shut the wooden door and double locked it. He would have to leave the lantern and the killing jar on the porch all night. Shuddering, he went up to his room. Toby didn't turn on the light, but crept into bed and pulled a sheet over his body. He imagined the moths were outside searching for him, trying to find his room. The old woman's story haunted his troubled thoughts. She said its markings were like an evil eye casting bad luck on whoever captured it. She told him about a man who once caught the moth and put it in his collection. Soon afterward, he disappeared and was never seen again. Toby was sweating under the sheet. He thought about running onto the porch and opening the killing jar. The moth could still be alive, but the thought of the thick furry body on his neck and hundreds of wings flapping around his face held him back. Like the moth, he would have to lie still and slowly, slowly go to sleep. Toby woke the next morning with the sound of his mother's voice. She called out to tell him that she was going into town. Toby looked at the clock and saw it was nine o'clock. He didn't have school. His father had already left her work. Toby would be alone in the house. Suddenly, he remembered the moth and the disturbing dreams that had awakened him over and over during the night. Dressing quickly, he hurried downstairs. The killing jar sat on the kitchen table. The huge moth lay dead at the bottom, its beautiful wings limp against the glass. Toby wanted to take the jar outside and throw it into the deepest part of the swamp, but he knew it was too late. The moth was dead. He might as well mount it. Toby had no appetite for breakfast. He took the killing jar upstairs to his room and set it on the work table next to the spreading board he used to dry his specimens. Using a forceps, he pulled the moth out of the jar and set its thick body into the groove of the board. He pushed a pin through the moth's thorax, feeling a wave of nausea and fear come over him. Quickly, he set the wings at the right angles to the body and fastened them down with pins and paper strips. It was done. The old woman's superstition crowded back into his mind and wouldn't go away. Toby decided to take the moth to her house and show her. Perhaps she had been talking about another species. Perhaps he was worrying needlessly. Toby came out of the path that ran along the swamp between the two houses, carefully holding the spreading board in front of him. He climbed to the steps to her porch and knocked on the door. The old woman stared at him through the screen door. Her eyes dropped down to the moth on the board. Toby looked down at it too. The lower orange wings each had a conspicuous eye spot that seemed to stare back at him. He looked up and met the woman's gaze. Her eyes were filled with terror. Take it away from here, she said in a quivering voice. I warned you. Toby hesitated on the porch. He wanted her to ease his fear, but instead she was stirring panic inside him. Take it away, the woman screamed. You have done the harm. I want no part of it. Toby gripped the board and ran away along the path by the edge of the swamp, back to his house. The spot on the moth's wings stared up at him like omens of evil. Toby went about his chores the rest of the day, avoiding sight of the moth. He picked at his food at the dinner table, unable to eat. He sat in front of the television all evening, not knowing what he had heard or saw. It was finally time for bed. Toby reluctantly went to his room when his parents had turned off the downstairs lights. He took one quick glance at the moth lying dead on the spreading board. Then he switched off the lamp and slipped under the covers of the bed, hiding in a shadowy night. 
The sounds of the swamp crept into his room, the sounds of the frogs and toads and insects and strange birds. He tried to block out the noises, but they grew louder and louder. There was a strange thud against his screen. Toby sat up in the bed and looked at the window with the moonlight streaming through it. He saw the silhouette of two large wings and a long, thick body pressed against the screen. A moth. Toby held his breath and waited. There was another thud, then another. He looked at the window and watched the moonlight being blotted out by more and more moths. Finally, he sat in total darkness. The air was heavy. Toby's breath came in short gasps. Then he heard the first delicate ripping of the screen. A louder sound, the sound of metal being torn at viciously, wallowed. The air was suddenly filled with beating wings. Toby could hear them coming toward him. He jumped from the bed and ran to the door and down the steps. He wanted to scream, but the moths were too close to his mouths. They were everywhere, flying around him. He ran for the porch door and out into the night. For a minute, he felt a rush of fresh air filled his lungs. Then the moths surrounded him. More of them, huge ones, tiny ones. They pursued him across the yard into the swamp. They drove him through pools of water filled with snakes and thick weeds and across fallen, rotting trees. They chased him into the deepest, darkest part of the swamp. No one ever saw Toby again. It was as though he disappeared from the earth without a trace. The only clue he left was the torn screen mysteriously ripped into shreds. They sent out search parties into the swamp, but no search party ever went where Toby had gone. No one could have ever found that deep, dark place in the swamp where the moths had put Toby pinned against a tree in their human collection. Dun, 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 dun. dun. Uh, Zach, I think you got your reading minutes for the night. Yeah, fair yeah, yeah. Sorry, I know that was a longer one, but honestly, this book for uh, the, that story, the collector from More Tales from the Hour, yeah. is one of the reasons I bought the book. Okay, because that story haunted me. I was up uh, whenever we go um, at a cabin up in Idaho. Mm-hmm. Moths all night; they're all around. And after I read that story, got a little jittery around. Yeah, them. in fact, that just when I was at the zoo a little while ago, and I went and they have the little insect collection. I see the pins in them. I think a poor little. You Toby. always think about this story. I think about Toby in the forest with a pin through him, and it on it. I don't know what it is. Yeah, the story scares me. It's uh, the human collection piece. That's great. So thank you, Zach. Thank you for reading that. Yes, thank you. Hey, did you think you were done with reading, Zach? Nope. Because I just sent you a story. Here we go. I'm sure the listener is done with hearing me, but <laughs> now this is going to be a real blast from the past. If you know, you know. What's this from? This is from another Alvin Schwartz book called "In a Dark, Dark Room." Okay, so it's not a scary story, it's telling the dark, but it's by the same author. Yes, it is. And the story is called what, Zach? The Green Ribbon. Once there was a girl named Jenny. She was like all the other girls except for one thing. She always wore a green ribbon around her neck. There was a boy named Alfred in her class. Alfred liked Jenny, and and Jenny liked Alfred. One day he asked her, Why do you wear that ribbon all the time? I cannot tell you, said Jenny. But Alfred kept asking, Why do you wear it? And Jenny would say, It's not important. Jenny and Alfred grew up and fell in love. One day they got married. After their wedding, Alfred said, Now that we're married, you must tell me about the green ribbon. You still must wait, said Jenny. I will tell you when the right time comes. Years passed. Alfred and Jenny grew old. One day, Jenny became very sick. The doctor told her she was dying. Jenny called Alfred to her side. Alfred, she said, Now I can tell you about the green ribbon. Untie it and you will see why I could not tell you before. Slowly and carefully, Alfred untied the ribbon and Jenny's head fell off. What? Now, I'm no doctor. (laughs) 
Really? Okay. But if it's that loosely attached, how is she alive? Hmm? Hmm? You're, hmm? you're really wondering? You're going to question this Just saying. story? Maybe a little. The Green Ribbon. This always scared me. That's a me. classic, though. It's, That's it a classic. is a classic. And actually, this is taken from historical fiction. Yeah, I'd heard that story before. I've seen yeah, imagery around this. Generally, before. it's about a guillotined woman who uh, like approaches a man. And like the next day, he's like, hey, where's that, where's that woman? I, I think I fell in love with her. And like, oh, she got her head cut off yesterday. What are you talking about? Yeah. So, yeah, pretty crazy. Thank you, Zach. Oh, thank you. Now let's, I mean, we talked about moths, but let's talk about animals. <laughs> moths are not animals. They're the worst. Just animals. sweaters. dog. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm going to go first on this one. Yep. This one is called Sam's New Pet. Sam stayed with his grandmother when his parents went to Mexico for their vacation. We are going to bring you back something nice, his mother told him. It will be a surprise. Before they came home, Sam's parents looked for something Sam would like. All they could find was a beautiful sombrero. It cost too much. But that afternoon, while they were eating their lunch in a park, they decided to buy the sombrero after all. Sam's father threw what was left of their sandwiches to some stray dogs, and they walked back to the marketplace. One of the animals followed them. It was a small, gray creature with short hair, short legs, and a long tail. Wherever they went, it went. Isn't he cute? Sam's mother said. He must be one of those Mexican hairless dogs. Sam would love him. He's probably somebody's pet, Sam's father said. They asked several people if they knew the, who the owners were, but no one did. They just smiled and shrugged their shoulders. Finally, Sam's mother said, Maybe he's just a stray. Let's take him home with us. We can give him a good home and Sam will love him. It is against the law to take a pet across the border, but Sam's parents hid the animal in a box and no one saw it. When they got home, they showed it to Sam. He's a pretty small dog, said Sam. He's a Mexican dog, his father said. I'm not sure what kind. I think it's called uh, Mexican hairless. We'll find out, but he's nice, isn't he? They gave the new pet some dog food. Then they washed it and brushed it and combed its fur. That night, it slept on Sam's bed. When Sam awakened the next morning, his pet was still there. Mother, he called. The dog has a cold. The animal's eyes were running and there was something white around its mouth. Later that morning, Sam's mother took it to a veterinarian. Where did you get him? The vet asked. In Mexico, she said. We think he's a Mexican hairless. I was going to ask you about that. He's not a hairless, the vet said. He's not even a dog. He's a sewer rat and he has rabies. Now, the reason I love this, and the story is so goofy. That picture is grotesque. The picture is horrifying. Yeah. That does not look like a rat It's a little me. goblin. Yeah, that's not a rat. And that's why, you know, you picture this when they picked him up. You're like, are they crazy? Yeah. I've seen this movie. It's called Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> <laughs> Ohana means family. Joel, what's your animal story? My animal story is from book two, and it's called The Cat's Paw. Somebody was stealing the meat Jed Smith kept in his smokehouse. Every day a ham or some bacon or something else was missing. Finally, Jed decided he had to put a stop to it. One night he hid in the smokehouse with his rifle and waited for the thief. He didn't have to wait long, for soon a black she-cat slunk in. She was the biggest cat Jed had ever seen. When she jumped up and pulled down a ham hanging from the ceiling, Jed grabbed his rifle and turned on the lights. But instead of running away, the cat jumped at him. He fired and shot off one of her paws. Jed was sure he heard a woman scream right after his gun went off. The cat began tearing around the room, spitting and yowling. Then she ran up the chimney and was gone. Jed stared at the cat's paw. Only it wasn't a cat's paw anymore. A woman's foot lay wriggling on the floor, all shot up and bloody. So it's a witch that's been doing it, he told himself. 
Just then, one of Jed's neighbors, a fellow named Burdick, came racing down the road to get a doctor. His wife's foot had been shot in an accident, he told Jed. She's bleeding pretty bad, he said. The doctor got to her barely in time. People who were there when it happened said that she was spitting and yowling just like a cat. Mm-hmm. The cat was the woman. What? Oh. Uh, but this is one of those, once again, with the picture where it's just... Yeah, it's the, pretty it's, great. It's a, it's a, like a cat person. It's like Lady a character Kate. from Cats. Yeah. With pearls. It's like a better Less looking. terrifying. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's actually a cat face. But creepy. Yeah. Creepy. Uh, all right. What next, Zach? That's just messed up. <laughs> uh, Wait. What's, what's next, though, Zach? That's just messed up. Oh, that's the category. Yes. So, yeah. This is just one of those things where you read it and you're like, ah, that, that's just messed up. So, I'm reading from book two, page 75. All right. And it's called The Brown Suit. A woman came to the funeral parlor to see her husband's corpse. He did a good job, she said to the undertaker. He looks just the way he always looked, except for one thing. My husband always wore a brown suit, but you have him dressed in a blue suit. That is no problem, said the undertaker. We can easily change it. When she returned later, her husband was wearing a brown suit. Now he looks just the way he always did, she said. I know you went to a lot of trouble. It was no trouble, he said. As it happened, there is a man here who is wearing a brown suit, and his widow felt that blue would be better. He is about your husband's size, so we gave him the blue one and gave your husband the brown one. Even so, she said, changing all that clothing was a big job. Not really, said the undertaker. All we did was exchange their heads. That's not how you do it, <laughs> oh, folks. Okay. If there's any undertaker, so you're out not there, a doctor, you're not a mortician. I'm not a mortician. I'm not a doctor. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. going to say, don't don't switch the heads. But, no-no. like, are you sure about that? Because it is, <laughs> you, just, you well, know. You've got you to get a lot of green ribbon to put around their necks when you exactly. do that. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, what the heck? Like, I kind of went, that's just, that, that's messed up. It's messed up. Kent? The story I think is messed up is actually kind of similar to Joel's in a way. It's called, oh, Susanna. And the, the picture is actually really horrifying. So there's, like, this demon in the sky with a Tyrannosaurus Rex arm. And this woman in a rocking Rocker, chair, yeah, floating in the sky, or led something. by an eyeball on a string. Yeah, very bizarre. What? Very bizarre. Seriously, what, what was he thinking when he Honestly, drew that? Honestly, I, I don't Gamel like it. Thinking when he drew that. Susanna and Jane shared a small apartment near the university where they were students. When Susanna got back to the library one night, the lights were out and Jane was asleep. Susanna undressed in the dark and quietly got into bed. She had almost fallen asleep when she heard someone humming the tune to the song, "Oh, Susanna." Jane, she said, please stop humming. I want to get some sleep. Jane didn't answer, but the humming stopped, and Susanna fell asleep. She wakened early the next morning, too early, she decided, and was trying to get back to sleep when she heard the humming again. Please go back to sleep, she told Jane. It's too early to get up. Jane didn't answer, but the humming continued. Susanna became angry. Cut it out, she said. It's not funny. When the humming still did not stop, she lost her temper. She jumped out of bed, pulled the covers off Jane, and screamed. Jane's head was gone. Somebody had cut off her head. I'm having a nightmare, Susanna told herself. When I wake up, everything will be all right. And then the story ends. She went back to bed, thinking she had a nightmare, saw that, and went back to bed, hoping, yeah, 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 this will be fine. Oh, I think we'd all do that. (laughs) Yeah, please bless. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's pretty messed up. And by the way, both stories, missing heads or cut off heads. What's the deal with heads? 
These are messed up. <laughs> That's the reason for the category. Uh, all right, let's finish this up with still gives you the chills. After mm-hmm. all these years, Kent Dunn. Now, this one is a new sort of chills, but it's always kind of scared me based on the concept. And the story is called The Dream. Oh, that's the one with the woman. One of the scariest pictures in these books. The, the smiling woman with the dark hair. It, she's like the face of the movie. Oh, yeah. From Scary Stories 3, more tales to chill your bones. Lucy Morgan was an artist. She spent a week painting in a small country town and decided the next day she would move on. She would go to a village called Kingston. But that night, Lucy Morgan had a strange dream. She dreamed that she was waking up in a dark, carved staircase and entered a bedroom. It was an ordinary room except for two things. The carpet was made up of large squares that looked like trap doors, and each of the windows was fastened shut with big nails that stuck up out of the wood. In her dream, Lucy Morgan went to sleep in that bedroom. During the night, a woman with a pale face and black eyes and long black hair came into the room. She leaned over the bed and whispered, This is an evil place. Flee while you can. When the woman touched her arm to hurry her along, Lucy Morgan awakened from her dream with a shriek. She lay awake the rest of the night, trembling. In the morning, she told her landlady that she decided not to go to Kingston after all. I can't tell you why, she said, but I just can't bring myself to go there. Then why don't you go to Dorset, the landlady said. It's a pretty town, and it isn't too far. So Lucy Morgan went to Dorset. Somebody told her she could find a room in a house at the top of the hill. It was a pleasant-looking house, and the landlady there, a plump, motherly woman, was as nice as could be. Let's look at the room, she said. I think you will like it. They walked up a dark carved staircase like the one in Lucy's dream. In these old houses, the staircases are all the same, Lucy thought. But when the landlady opened the door to the bedroom, it was the room in her dream with the same carpet that looked like trapdoors and the same windows fastened with big nails. This is just a coincidence, Lucy told herself. How do you like it? The landlady asked. I'm not sure, she said. Well, take your time, the landlady said. I'll bring up some tea while you think about it. Lucy sat on the bed staring at the trap doors and the big nails. Soon there was a knock on the door. It's the landlady with tea, she thought. But it wasn't the landlady. It was the woman with the pale face and the black eyes and the long black hair. Lucy Morgan grabbed her things and fled. So, now truth be told, I don't think that would be as scary if it weren't for that picture. The picture makes it horrible. And then the movie comes out and makes the pale lady horrifying. Yeah. Where she just slowly approaches. And if you haven't seen the movie, even just watch this part on YouTube. It's you can't escape this woman who just wants to give you a nice motherly hug. Mm. And it's Mm. so scary. I think a very vulnerable spot for all of us is waking up. We're kind of like, oh, where am I? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is fine. Imagine someone, even in a dream. Standing over you. Creepy. Yeah, horrible. Creepy. No. Mm -mm. All right. My story, my final story for uh, this episode comes from book one, Scary Stories Tell in the Dark. It's called The Girl Who Stood on a Grave. Oh, yeah. And Zach, I want to uh, show you the picture here in case that's a... I love this picture. It's one of those ones that I'm like... Very simple, but very good. It's just this woman screaming in the middle of a, well, a graveyard, honestly. But it's... This story creeps me out for multiple reasons. Mm Mm-hmm. Some boys and girls were at a party one night. There was a graveyard down the street, and they were talking about how scary it was. Don't ever stand on a grave after dark, one of the boys said. The person inside will grab you. He'll pull you under. That's not true, one of the girls said. It's just a superstition. I'll give you a dollar if you stand on the grave, said the boy. A grave doesn't scare me, said the girl. I'll do it right now. The boy handed her his knife. Stick this knife in one of the graves, he said. Then we'll know you were there. 
The graveyard was filled with shadows and was as quiet as death. There's nothing to be scared of, the girl told herself, but she was scared anyway. She picked out a grave and stood on it. Then quickly she bent over and plunged the knife into the soil, and she started to leave. But she couldn't get away. Something was holding her back. She tried a second time to leave, but she couldn't move. She was filled with terror. Something has got me! She screamed and she fell to the ground. When she didn't come back, the others went to look for her. They found her body sprawled across the grave. Without realizing it, she had plunged the knife through her skirt and had pinned it to the ground. It was only a knife that held her. She had died of fright. So that's one of those that... Never do dares, kids. No, that's one of those ones that, like, once again, every time I... I, I never stand, like, directly on top of graves. Oh, you don't? It, it, it's a respect... Even playing night games and everything? I think it's a respect thing. It's a yeah. superstition thing. It's just one of... The, but this story definitely comes to mind, too. Which is funny, because when you're running on the grass, like, playing night games, mm-hmm. you're actually standing where they are buried, you know? Yeah. In the grass part. Well, I don't live right by a graveyard. I mean, there's one just a couple hundred feet away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, that was one of those stories that it's it's creepy in the moment. But then when you realize what happened, you're like, well, that's that's also kind of scary that yeah. the girl went out to do a dare, ended up scaring herself to death. Horrifying. So, yeah. So there you go. There are our scary stories. Part two, where we read some more favorites of yours. Now, keep in mind, this is a series of three books. And we've only gone through about, what, 40 of these stories? Yeah. Well, less because we did one from the other series. But also the all-stars. Yeah. But let us know if we have not yet mentioned one of your favorites, a story we have not talked about yet. Zach, did you have a favorite? Of oh, yeah. You read? I, yeah. I'm just to know which oh, one. Oh, I don't know. They're all so fun. Uh, so fun. Well, not all of them. But again, I like the ones that have some sort of zing at the end. Yeah. Maybe and I, I would I would recommend, Zach, if your kids are up for a scary story, yeah. the, the funny sections are perfect for little kids. And it's that little gateway Still into Still scary this, pictures, this though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, all, they're all terrifying pictures. Indeed. They are. Uh, but let us know on Facebook. Let us know on Instagram. Let us know on Twitter. We want to hear what are some of your favorite scary stories, short scary stories. And they don't have to be from the series. They can be from other, other series as well. But let us know because we're always looking for fun ones. And before we go, we'd like to give some love to our patrons, those that help keep the lights off here in the Bacon Cave during October, <laughs> uh, including the I'm Listener tier, which has Taylor Sanderson, Certain Madam Hicks, Scott Sprague, Ryan and Marley, Rocky and Steph, Lady Terry A. Finley, Juice the Cooler King Swallow, Jennifer Kilkowski, Dave Kelly, Casey Cummings, Briggs is off to preach the good word, Angela Plotz, Andrew versus Evil Dead, and Adam and Rachel Crump. And then we have the Bacon Council, which includes the other Brit, Johnny English, the one, the only Chris Anderson, Stephen, everyone's favorite Ross, Star Wars expert Kyler, our favorite couple, the Madsons, Nicole D. Kale, Her Royal Highness Jessica Terry, Glow Clint Daniel, Debbie Foster, and Bigger! Thank you, patrons. Thank you, patrons. You are the bazee to our bazoo. <laughs> but if you want to find me, you can find me at 76Joel on Twitter. You can find me performing with Quickwits. They perform at the Midvale Performing Arts Center. For more details, go to qwcomedy.com or go to the Quickwits Facebook page. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Kenny3DD. You can read my movie reviews at ShowtimeShowdown.com. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at TumblingMustard. But more importantly, make sure you're following Bacon Sale. Please like that Facebook page and visit at Bacon Sale on Twitter and Instagram. After you've done that, visit tpublic.com slash bacon sale where you can get yourself some merch. We love to see it. We appreciate you being a billboard. And then if you like what's going on here and you want to support us further, visit patreon.com slash bacon sale. All sorts of fun happening there. Uh, if you, you get your almost weekly bacon bits where we just, we rant, we get mad. Oh, yeah. Whoa, geez. No what one can that? see. Doozy this week. 
patreon.com slash bacon sale. So until next time, O'Leary is dead and O'Reilly don't know what O'Reilly is dead and O'Leary don't know what they both are dead in the very same bed and neither one knows that the other one's dead. Baroom, baroom. Is that what a death rattle is? <laughs> Monster Mash. Do whatever this. Yeah, I know. The death rattle threw me off. You, uh, you, uh, we did. <laughs> That's all, folks. <laughs> and I had, what's that thing? Um, Girl. Oh, yeah. Sense. I think you'll be fine. Uh-huh. These are, these are for children. I don't look at the art too closely. I'm a child. You do got a baby face. Oh, oh baby face. With tag. a beard. <laughs> a beardy baby face. <laughs> Jerk. So mad. So mad. Uh, I would much rather be at my house with sick children. It's so awful not being there. I'm just talking to Joel for an hour. How dare we? Ah. Uh, no one can see. <laughs> no one can see. Busy, busy, bazoo. Where is my money? Who's got my money? Hey, Mr. Death. Are you scaring my son, Mr. Uh, Potter? Death? This is why you don't go to fortune tellers, kids. And the only reason, creepily. Yeah. <laughs> nice, sharp knife. Two for five combo. He's so spooky. All right, all right, all right. Roast beef sandwiches at Arby. Yeah. yeah. I wanted show. death and dismemberment. Nope. Let's go back. Where's my wife? Where's my wife, Mrs. Gibbs? <laughs> that's why you can't use stuff that's been used. What if there's embalming fluid on my clothes? <laughs> I've read the word moth so many times, now it's mouth. The cat was the woman. You've got it.